This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Tom Lawless, card number 183, second baseman slash third baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay, Tom Lawless. This is a great looking card. I'm looking forward to this one. But before we get to that, we should acknowledge David as a baseball podcast. Congratulations to the Atlanta Braves that won the World Series. And so congratulations to Clayton Truder. I'm sure he had something to do with it. I think they saw that the book was going to be coming out called Loserville. And they were like, no, 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 no. Let's change that. We got to change that narrative. And yeah, we have a, a few listeners who are Atlanta fans. So congratulations to you and to your team. And also congratulations to Ian Anderson. Matt, I opened a pack of 2021 Tops Series 2, and I pulled this card that had a very distinctive look. Mm-hmm. And it is not... I've got it pulled up on the Jumbotron right now. It is not a card of Jethro Tull flautist Ian Anderson. Rather, it is Ian Anderson, the pitcher <laughs> for the Atlanta Braves. In the style of 1988 Tops, and it looks And beautiful. it is a rookie card, so you know I'm going to bank this one. I think I have a sale item here for eBay for $8.91. We're going to hold on to that one, though. Mm. That's a that's an investment. He had a win in the World Series. There are no stats listed on the back of this card, but it tells us some things that we already know about the 1988 top set. It says player images got something of a 3D look on 1988 tops cards as they blocked a portion of the team name at the top, the subject was identified on the diagonal strip in the lower right corner with positions not included. The rookie cards of future Hall of Famers Tom Glavin and future star Ken Caminiti were among the highlights of the 792-count checklist. Wow, those are quite the highlights. And that is... (laughs) uh, The other shocking thing on the back here is that Ian Anderson was born in 1998 which was the year I graduated high school. So we're just going to close that out. Good day to you, Ian Anderson. Good day. Good day and congratulations. Well done. Also, David, and this bit of news I think is even more fashionable than the Braves winning the World Series. That's something that we just came across on Twitter today. And that is that Tsuyoshi Shinjo was introduced as the new manager of the Nippon Ham Fighters from the Japanese Baseball League. Shinjo played in the major leagues in 2001, 2, and 3 for the Mets and the Giants, and he was the first Japanese baseball player to ever play in the World Series with the Giants in 2002. But I bring this up, David, because when this came across the transom, and I saw Shinjo dressed in a bright red plaid suit with a fantastic pirate shirt and a huge wide-open white collar and then a braided necklace very stylish glasses, some poofy hair, and then making the hang loose sign like you would definitely catch a surfer doing in Hawaii. I knew that this is something that we needed to discuss. The tweet says that Tsuyoshi Shinjo was introduced as a new manager of the Nippon Ham Fighters today. He told reporters he wanted to be addressed as Big Boss. I approve. I approve of him demanding 
to be called the big boss, much like the big boss man. He does does not look like the big boss man here. He looks more like a Japanese Austin Powers. <laughs> I do love a three-piece suit. I have a similar three-piece suit in blue. Uh, maybe I should step my game up and get one in red and maybe some giant cuffs. What in the... Like, it looks like a funeral. There's flowers. <laughs> <laughs> or a wedding. I mean, it looks like there's there's definitely some flower arrangements. There's a lot of white white tulle. There's a, you know, a table skirt around this table. I, he looks like the big boss of the costume store to me. Uh, but I... I'm all for it. I think this style is pretty great. Let us know if you see any other fashionable managers or players signed as we get into the hot stove season. But now we need to turn to our card, Tom Lawless, today. And why did we choose Tom Lawless? Matt, I first selected this card, Tommy Hinzo, because Mm. I was intrigued. And I was like, I know nothing about Tommy Hinzo. Let's learn about Tommy Hinzo. And immediately I gave up because... I, th- I think I found three <laughs> lines on his Wikipedia article, and I was like, you know what, this is too much work. We got a short week this week. Uh, peek behind the curtain here. We are recording early this week. And so I decided, I got stressed out, and I was going to tell you, like, episodes off, cancel the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're going on We're hiatus. Back, back on break. Instead, because I am traveling this weekend to Missouri, And to the land of the best fans in baseball, I decided to pick a World Series legend from the St. Louis Cardinals, Tom Lawless. And so as the World Series just ended, and I'll be in St. Louis, let's talk about one of the best Cardinal moments in the 1987 World Series. We've talked a lot about this World Series, a little bit from the Cardinal side with John Tudor and Tony Pena, and a lot from the Twins side. But Tom Lawless had one of the most iconic moments in that World Series, He also has one of the worst stat lines that we will see on any of these cards. And in 1984, he was traded one for one for a baseball legend. That sounds great. Well, lots to dig into there. So let's go to the front of 183. And David, I think that we've got here the biggest smile that we've seen so far in the series is Tom Lawless. Tom's got his batting helmet on. He has his bat over his shoulder that's got the donut on it. I think that's also the first donut that we've seen in the series. He's got his practice jersey for sure. This is not a real jersey. But he has the biggest smile. He's got a huge mustache and very big smile. And he has batting gloves that don't match. He's got one black batting glove and one white. He also has a guy over his left shoulder. Who's that mysterious man? Is that like the mysterious man in the Jody Reed card? It could be. It looks like perhaps a groundskeeper. Groundskeeper Willie back there. Yeah, I can't tell what kind of jacket he's got on. He has what looks like a kind of a dark blue trucker hat. Yes, mysterious man. That is a beat up donut on this bat too. But that's a good looking card. Tom with a big cheese and smile, good mustache. It looks great. Flip into the back of 183. Tom Lawless 5'11", 165. Right-handed batter and thrower drafted by the Reds in the 17th round, June 1978. Born December 19th, 1956 in Erie, Pennsylvania, with a home in Allison Park, Pennsylvania. The abbreviation on the back of this, the traditional abbreviation for Pennsylvania is PA. This one has Penna. Now, I see in the notes that you've dug into this, but I knew Uh this already. So the zip code abbreviation for Pennsylvania is PA. 
But the AP style in newspapers and otherwise for states was not their two-letter postal service abbreviation. And Pennsylvania, for a long time, in the newspapers, has been referred to as P-E-N-N-A. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I only learned that this was an official abbreviation until 1963. And then after July 1st, 1963, the post office introduced the five-digit zip code. And at the time, they could only accommodate a certain number of characters on the bottom line of the address. And then to make room for the zip code, they required states to abbreviate further. And that's when the the two-letter post office abbreviation came in. I don't know if Topps uses AP style. They have their Topps style book. But it seems like they also maybe had different editors for different cards. Because on other cards, I have seen California spelled entirely out, not abbreviated at all. I've seen it abbreviated to Cal and then abbreviated to Caliph. So Mm. no real rhyme or reason there. Tom Lawless from Erie, Pennsylvania, which is different from the television program Erie, Indiana. It was named for the Erie people who once controlled the area before they were defeated by the Iroquois nation in the Beaver Wars in the 1650s. The tribe was broken and dispersed. Some went to Canada, some went to the south in the 1650s. Erie, PA, around the time that Tom was born, was well over 100,000 people, probably around 130,000 people. Now, just below 100,000. And at the time, it was a manufacturing hub, thanks to its location on Lake Erie, which gave it access to the St. Lawrence Seaway. Other famous Erieans, Erieites, Erieites is the official word, include the fictional Wonders, the Oneaters from That Thing You Do, Fred Bolitnikoff, Joseph Pistone, the FBI agent who's better known as Donnie Brasco, and Billy Blanks of Tybo fame. Ooh, Also a good name here, Strong Vincent. Strong Vincent is not related to Big Anthony of Streganona fame. Strong Vincent was an attorney and colonel with the Union Army by age 26 who fought in the Battle of Gettysburg. Before he left for the Battle of Gettysburg, he told his wife, If I fall, remember you have given your husband to the most righteous cause that ever widowed a woman. He was commanding multiple regiments, and his men valiantly defended a little round top at the Battle of Gettysburg. To motivate his troops, Vincent climbed a rock and was holding a a riding crop that had been given to him by his wife and screamed, Don't give an inch! While atop the boulder, he was shot and injured. He was removed to a farm, but he was too badly injured to return home. He died five days later on that farm. His troops, however, held the line, And this effort was instrumental to the Union victory at Gettysburg. So while he died five days later, because of his heroism, he was given a deathbed promotion to Brigadier General. His body was returned home and he was buried at Erie Cemetery. Tom went to Strong Vincent High School, as if there was no reason for that diversion into Civil War history. Strong Vincent (laughs) High School, I think Tom is the only baseball player associated with that school. Other high school alumni include Ann B. Davis from the Brady Bunch. But in 2017, the school was converted to a junior high, and the two high schools were merged into one, and both of the existing high schools became junior highs. So there's no longer a Strong Vincent High School, which is is sad because it's a great name. Tom, out of Strong Vincent High, was not drafted. Instead, he went to the awkwardly named Penn State Barron a college of the Pennsylvania State University. 
That's too much. <laughs> yes. You really got to cut that down. I think at the time it was maybe just Barron College, but since then has been merged into the Penn State system, also in Erie, Pennsylvania. And this is a Division Three baseball program. Not a ton of guys going from Division Three baseball into the major leagues, but this program was coached by Clarence Shorty Stoner. And Shorty was a great coach in the Division Three ranks, so good that he was promoted in 1981 to coach the Nittany Lions baseball team, making the jump all the way to Division One. He coached there until 1990. In, in this article from the early 80s, before Tom had made it to the major leagues, Stoner is interviewed and he says, one of my players still has a chance to make it to the majors, Tom Lawless. He's in AAA and we think he's going to make it. It's really neat to read that knowing that, that Tom would go on to a major league career. During his four-year playing career at Barron, Lawless had a three seventy-eight batting average, and in two of his four seasons, he hit over four hundred. From what I could find, he's the only player from Barron to be drafted and the only player to make it to the major leagues. Two more recent players played in the minors. So Tom was picked in the 17th round of the 1978 draft, one pick behind a high school kid from Minnesota named Kent Herbeck. I think I've heard of him. And Tom started his career at rookie ball in Billings, Montana, hitting 276 with 16 steals and a surprising five home runs in 63 games. Seeing as I scan the back of this card and I only see one home run in the six lines on here in the major leagues, not a lot of home runs. Yeah, not a lot of home runs, not a lot of at-bats on the back of this card, which might explain why Tom's batting gloves were so clean on the front of this card. (laughs) Yeah, not getting a whole lot of work, maybe getting plenty of batting practice, perhaps. Over the next three seasons, Tom played 130-plus games each year, first at A-level Tampa, then double-A Waterbury. He hit for decent averages, normally in the 270 to 290 range. He had a decent number of walks. And so he got on base a lot and stole 60-plus bases three straight seasons. He was also the team MVP of both his A and AA team. And in 1981, he hit eight homers, 20 doubles, 10 triples, a lot more power than we might expect from the back of this card, a lot more extra base hits than he had in his major league career which earned him a call-up in 1982 to AAA Indianapolis. Yeah, and while he was there, he had an even better average, 308. Still a huge threat to run, 35 steals in 86 games. Mostly playing second base at this point. Sometimes would play shortstop as well, although he was much better at second base. Meanwhile, the Reds were in the middle of a, a terrible 61-101 and 101 season. And so Tom's hitting well enough that he ends up getting a call-up. And he's called up to play second base. He played 49 games, got a decent number of at-bats, but hit a lackluster 212. He showed his speed, getting 16 steals, but that lack of power and RBIs still apparent. He slugged 248 (laughs) and only had four RBIs in 165 at-bats. He was often the leadoff hitter, but when he had a chance with runners on base, he hit 109 with men on. With runners in scoring position, he hit 182. His batting average can be explained. He may have benefited from a platoon. He hit only 180 versus righties. Against lefties, he hit 262. So not an impressive first season, but did hit well against left-handers. 
1983, he's back at Indianapolis in AAA. Spent the whole season there. Hit 279. And that brings us to the fun fact. He led the American Association with 46 stolen bases at Indianapolis in 1983. 46 steals. He also hit 13 home runs. So showing some some good power for Tom Lawless. In 1984, a very eventful year for Tom. He played in 104 games between two different AAA teams and two major league teams. He was all over the place. He made the Reds... Big league club out of spring training, hitting 250 in 43 games. And that included a big moment on April 25th. He hit a home run. Whoa. And that's the only one that shows up on this card. One of two <laughs> regular season home runs that he would hit in his career. And then he was sent back to AAA. But then he becomes a part of history, or at least a, an answer to a trivia question. In August 16th, 1984, he's traded by the Cincinnati Reds to the Montreal Expos for Pete Rose. And Pete Rose was only traded once in his long career. And Tom was the only player who was ever traded for Pete Rose. Prior to the 1984 season, Rose had signed with the Expos as a free agent. It wasn't going great. He was hitting 259. He did get his 4,000th hit in Montreal, but the team was bad and Rose wasn't really helping. The Expos seemed ready to cut their losses and release Pete Rose. And the Reds wanted to hire him to be a player manager. And so the move to trade him seems to have been more of a move to spare Pete Rose's ego than anything else. Because the Expos didn't have much work for Tom either. He only played in 11 games there. He spent some time in Indianapolis, now the Expos AAA affiliate. Going into 1985, we start with the fun fact at the bottom of the card. This way to the clubhouse. And David, you have some grammatical marks marked on the notes here so let's read this as it's written the contract of tom was purchased by the st louis cardinals from the montreal expos march 25th 1985 the expos received mickey mahler february 6th 1985 i i'm thoroughly confused why is there passive voice and why did something happen backwards yes and what is the connection between these two lines I think in reality, Baseball Reference does a better job of explaining this. February 6th, 1985, the Montreal Expos sent a player to be named later to the St. Louis Cardinals for Mickey Mahler. Tom was the player to be named later. The passive voice here really bothers me because we're always at a a premium of space on these cards. And they're just like, the contract of Tom. No, Tom's contract. (laughs) Bottom line is he gets traded to St. Louis, starting the season at AAA Louisville, plays 31 games there, and then spends the rest of the season in the big leagues playing 47 games in the 1985 season. And this infield was pretty well set. Ozzie Smith, Tommy Herr, Terry Pendleton, not a lot of space for Tom, but this is the Whitey Ball Cardinals. Of course they have space for a guy who could steal 60 bases in the minor leagues, and play second base, third base, wherever. Many of the games that he played, he was a pinch runner. Five of his eight runs scored came as a pinch runner. He made an appearance in the eighth inning of the fateful Game 6 of the World Series that, in 1985, again as a pinch runner. The next batter grounded into a force play, so not really a great experience for Tom that year. The Cardinals lost that series, and that was Tom's only appearance in the World Series. 1986 had a similar role to 1985, mostly a pinch runner, pinch hitter, 
But this was his best season, 282 average in 39 at bats. <laughs> 40 it's funny, 46 games that he appeared in, but only 39 at bats, 8 steals. And the majority of his at bats were against lefties. He hit 357 against left-handed pitching, so that explains his higher than Tom Lawless average average. 1987, probably the worst stat line that we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, this is Jerry Royster bad. This is worse. 19 games, 25 at-bats, and an average of 080. So he had two hits in 25 at-bats, one of them a single, one of them a double, two stolen bases. So he didn't get a hit until August of this year. <laughs> but he was only 0 for 14 by August, so not a ton of opportunities, but still it's pretty bad. Slash line here of 080, 179, 120 slugging. Yikes. Oh. <laughs> and his OPS plus was a thing that I did not know you could do. It was minus 19. How is that possible? I mean, it's an index where 100 is the average player i thought it would go to zero it actually went negative you yes the way that they because you multiply it by a hundred and then you subtract one mm. at the end so you there it was so it was so bad it, it, it was <laughs> but it's such a small sample size that this doesn't show up on those worst of all time seasons uh, i had to mm. i write i wrote out the equation here because i was trying to figure out how one could have a negative OPS plus. But Tom did it and it was minus 19. Truly impressive. I bet we're going to get we're going to get math notes on this. I hope we do. I hope we do. For for any of you that that calculate OPS plus, uh, we would love to get your feedback on how bad you have to get to get a negative and what it is exactly that takes it that that direction. Very impressively poor performance. But he did play in the last three games of the season. Terry Pendleton picked up a rib injury, and that opens up an opportunity at third base for Tom in the playoffs. And he got three appearances in the NLCS. He went two for six with a walk. Whoa. Yeah, 333 average. That's <laughs> as many hits in the NLCS as he had in the entire season. And then going into the World Series, he starts game one at third base. It was a loss. He went 0 for 3. But then we go to game four, and he had a moment that is one of the most unexpected and outrageous moments in baseball history, and one of the greatest bat flips in baseball history. You know, we appreciate that. To set the scene, it's the top of the fourth inning at Bush Stadium. The game is tied 1-1. Frank Viola, lefty, who would end up World Series MVP, is on the mound. Viola walks Tony Pena, gives up a single to Jose Akendo. It's also... 42 degrees so in the video you see tom he's got a turtleneck on he's got a mustache he's got some like uh driver's ed instructor look about him he takes a couple pitches and he said that jack clark in the dugout told him take a couple pitches he's going to throw a couple balls jack clark knew what he's talking about jack clark was out injured at the time but jack clark gave him some good advice count is two and oh That audio, it sound, Al Michaels seems just as surprised as we are about this home run. And 
They don't show it at first. They don't show what Tom is doing. But this is a long fly ball to deep left, but it only, according to Tom, cleared the fence by a foot and a half. And then it bounces back onto the field. And then there's 50 seconds where Al Michaels lets it breathe and lets the stadium that's just erupted and so loud. Bush Stadium's going crazy. Three-run home run. And then he comes back in. And then they go to the replay of what was Tom Lawless doing? Not only that, he knows to trot. Look at this. His second major league home run. He is walking slowly down the first baseline to see if it's going to clear the wall. He took at least 10 steps where he was walking with his bat. Walking. And what he said was that he had hit a lot of balls that good at Bush Stadium that ended up as outs. He said, I'm a little guy. I don't hit many home runs. He also said, if it got caught, that's a sacrifice fly and scores a run. So he was just, he was watching it just in case. Tom says, when it went over the wall, I thought, holy cow, it went out. I went blank. I don't remember flipping the bat. And he flipped this bat better than anybody we've seen so far in the series. Absolutely underhand flipping it high in the air and then starts trotting his home run trot. You know, the Cardinals fans who didn't like the way that Jeffrey Leonard played, I wonder how they felt about this. I wonder if this is playing the game the right way. Oh, yeah. When it's the Cardinals, it's always the right way, David. It's an amazing bat flip. Tom still gets asked about it to this day. It's compared to Jose Bautista's 2015 bat flip. I don't know if this is the original bat flip, but it's certainly a prominent one and maybe the most prominent one that we will talk about on this series. The Cardinals would win that game 7-2, to and this is a, a huge moment for them, winning game four. So Tom would also play all of game seven, but this hit was Tom's only hit of the World Series. And unfortunately for him, the Cardinals end up losing in game seven, but he did have that one amazing and unexpected moment. After the home run, Whitey Herzog was asked about Tom and, and Whitey said he's done a great job. Whitey said he was glad that they had him signed for 1988 as well. He said it gives him a lot of options. He was used at second base, third base, outfield, even played some first base, along with his pinch hitting and pinch running roles. Tom was just happy to be in the majors, even if he wasn't playing every day. And in a recent interview, uh, one of Tom's teammates talks about how part of Tom's value to the team was getting under opponent's skin. He would sit on the bench, and he was often the 25th man on the roster, as we see from his numbers here, playing 19 games. But he would sit on the bench every day and jaw at opponents and needle them. One teammate in St. Louis said that when Tom was on the Reds, they hated him. They hated him. Could not stand the guy. But as soon as he came to the Cardinals, they loved him for the jawing, the needling, the, the teasing of opponents. And initially it was raised as pranks, that he was a prankster. But no, he was just kind of like, kind of a jerk. You know, uh, shit housing can also be the proper way to play if done for the right team. Yes. I'm all for the dark arts in sports, so good job, Tom Lawless. Yeah, and that's not reflected in his wins above replacement. It should be. 
1988, another rough year at the plate, even though Tom got more at-bats than he had previously. And he hit a home run, doubling his regular season total. He batted 154 in 65 at-bats, but ended up being released from the Cardinals at the end of the season, and he signs with the Blue Jays. With the Blue Jays, he's used all over the field, including one game as catcher for Toronto. (laughs) He had a probably single memorable moment in Toronto, and that was breaking up a no-hitter with a ninth-inning single against Mark Langston of the Seattle Mariners. 1990, he goes back to the Blue Jays for 15 games, but that was the end. That was his final season. So closing the book on Tom Lawless's career, 531 at-bats and a 207 average, 53 steals, 78 runs, two home runs, a career OPS plus of 47. Tom hit slightly better against lefties than righties in his career. He hit 225. And both of his career home runs and that postseason home run came against lefties. Uh, So the Mark Simon question we like to ask, loved to face Frank Viola in the World Series? (laughs) Pretty good against Frank Viola in the World Series, at least in that one at bat. And he also hit really well against the lefty, Steve Carlton. Steve Carlton was the pitcher who he faced the most, 292 in 24 at bats against lefty. He also hit 300 against Nolan Ryan and Fernando Valenzuela. Three for ten against each of them. As with all of Tom's career, not a lot of at-bats to go with, so we we got a small sample size. But because this is Tom, almost all of those hits were singles. He had a double against each of them, but no triples and definitely no home runs. His home runs, one came against his former teammate, Tom Browning. That was the home run in 1988. The first home run was against Ken Daly, who would go on to be his teammate with the Cardinals. And Tom would joke around and and tease Ken about this home run. He said that he had the ball and he was going to bring it in for Ken to sign. And he would send him a a cassette tape of the radio announcer calling that home run. (laughs) And I guess in the who who he hated to face, that would just be all the other right-handed pitchers except for Nolan Ryan. And Dave Dravecki, who was a lefty. But Tom went 0 for 9 against Dave Dravecki. So how about in retirement? He went into coaching in 1992, and for the next 20-plus years, he coached in the minors all over the place for the Angels, Cardinals, Padres, Orioles. And then from 2009 to 2014, he was with the Astros organization, made it all the way up to AAA. And then in 2014, he ended up as the interim manager of the Houston Astros when they fired Bo Porter late in the season. The Astros went 11-13 and under Tom's guidance, but... When they hired A.J. Hinch, Tom was let go. He then spent some time as an infield coach and a scout. And by 2017, he was taking a little bit of a break. He'd still go to some Cardinals events, and there's a good video of him in the booth in spring training talking about what else? That home run, that bat flip. And with bat flips, you know, back in the the public discourse, Tom is asked to compare. He said Jose Batista's 2015 bat flip didn't have enough air under it. (laughs) Cardinals fans love to ask him to sign pictures of his walk with the bat after that home run and pictures of that bat flip. And he said he signed more pictures than he can count. He also still has the bat and the ball. The ball bounced back onto the field. He only used that bat once for that home run. He didn't use it in his next at bat in that game. Maybe that could have helped him. That could have changed the tide of that 1987 World Series. 
I guess he didn't want to break it because he knew the moment was special. But man, you'd think that he would use it the next at bat. Maybe it only had one home run in it. Maybe there was some kind of um, deal with the devil here. Either way, this is the most unlikely and unexpected moment. And we've seen some unlikely moments in in postseason baseball. And it was unexpected, I think, for Tom to even make the big leagues from Division Three, And then to go on with this strange career of being the ultimate utility man, playing wherever, but then to do that and hit that home run on the biggest stage, it's an amazing baseball moment and an amazing sports moment. And Tom said... I've managed baseball in the minor leagues and even in the major leagues for a bit. And that's what I like to tell all the kids. When you walk up to home plate, you have a chance. If you have a bat in your hands, you have a chance. And that's that's Tom Lawless. That's a great attitude. The way I feel about it, David, if you've got a microphone and a podcast, you have a chance. So I feel the same way. I feel like that inspiration from Tom Lawless seeps all the way through. So... A great story about a utility player, an unlikely hero who came good. So thank you for that. After this podcast, I'm going to do a mic flip. <laughs> Please do, but be be gentle. Be gentle. That, that equipment's got to last. Thank you, and thank you to you at home for listening. So if you've ever given an inspirational speech on the top of a hill and then been shot, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at... Tops 1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.